Welcome. This is Garth, broadcasting from the Lost Cabin somewhere in rural Massachusetts. We're starting the new year by seeking the center of Mass and walking up a deserted road to an abandoned spot in the woods with curious ruins of a once busy and hopeful place. Even in the winter, in the cold, it's important to get out and go for a walk because you never know when you're going to be locked in again. So sit back and listen to the secrets of Rutland, Massachusetts. Okay, just parked by a side of a lake where somebody's ice fishing and we just walked by a standard sort of yellow government uh, iron gate to keep cars out and walking up an old road you can't drive down this road unless you are a maintenance vehicle and you have keys to the gate but so now it's a hiking path but it used to be a road So what road am I talking about? What am I walking up? The road is actually called Prison Camp Road. And it is a side road within Rutland State Park. And we start off in Rutland State Park and this is a beautiful recreational area. Like a lot of other Massachusetts parks, it has a crystal clear lake with uh, water for fishing and boating and it's surrounded by pine trees and there are hiking trails that run all throughout it's a great place for people to go walking and take their dogs but buried inside the woods is a forgotten state prison camp and hospital and there's a lot to see there. There's a lot to see, and if you were just coming to randomly visit the park, you would never know it was there. Uh, you would have to take a nice long walk down this side road in order to find it. And if you're just there enjoying the day at the park, you probably wouldn't find it. But actually, lots of people do come out here to explore it. It's actually a, a kind of a well-known area to go exploring. And even though people do know that it's there and will come out and check it out, they may generally know what the story of the Rutland prison camp was, uh, but they don't know a lot of the details behind it. That history has sort of been lost and has to be dug up. So I'll start by reading what is the official description. In 1903, the General Court established an industrial camp for prisoners to reclaim and improve wasted lands. The Commonwealth purchased 914 acres in Rutland. A dormitory and other buildings were built upon completion. Prisoners moved in. The prisoners were serving sentences for drunkenness and other minor offenses. The prisoners created a working farm of 150 acres. The farm produced potatoes that were shipped to the state prison 
the dairy barn housed 60 purebred Holsteins, which produced enough milk to send to Worcester, bringing in a yearly profit of $5,000. $11,000 income was brought in from selling of eggs. In 1907, a 30-bed hospital has been built for the prisoners who were afflicted with tuberculosis. Due to the fact that the property was on the drainage area water supply, the prison camp and hospital was abandoned on November 30, 1934. The land and buildings were sold to the Metropolitan District Water Supply Commission. Now, you can search and search and search for more details about the Rutland prison camp, but this is pretty much all you'll find. In order to get to the, uh, the deeper layers, we have to really do some digging and take a look at some state archives. For example, who were the men sent out here? What was life like on this prison farm camp? We're going to seek the answers to those questions. But for now, let's uh, continue our walk and see what we can find out in the woods. So it's mostly been just one long straight road. But now I'm coming to, there's a circle up ahead or there's a fork. And you can sort of see just off to the side, on one side, you can see some crumbling buildings. And you can also see on either side, there's clearly, these were plowed fields. These were used for something, clearly farming. The road turns, and um, this is the center of where the prison camp was located. There's a log uh, that keeps anybody from driving any further. Uh, but here, you can actually see there's a foundation of an old building. There are stone steps, and there's a stone wall just off to the side of the road. This looks like uh, there's some sort of trough here, concrete. This may have been a horse barn or something, or feed for some kind of uh, animals. Yes, because according to my map, this was the cow dairy area of the prison farm. And I can see from here, I can see from here a, a dark opening, looks like a some kind of man-made cave. We'll go inspect that. Of course, one of the attractions is that this is a, a creepy place, a spooky place, and it certainly is. You have this overgrown, crumbling structure way out in the woods, and behind it, there is also a cemetery. And all of those things added on to the fact that we're talking about prisoners from a long time ago does add to the spooky atmosphere of it. But there's a reality to the situation, to the background. There is a story of why this is here, and we have to understand what that is. I started by looking at the official records, specifically annual reports from the Bureau of Prisons in Massachusetts. They have to 
take data and information from all of the correctional facilities throughout the state every year, talk about what they did, who they processed, what kind of problems they had, what kind of costs they had to endure, etc., etc. Now, the official name was the Massachusetts Prison Camp and Hospital, comma, Rutland, which, of course, doesn't flow like a natural sentence, but that's how people name things. So this was a public institution, and we're going to look at public documents to paint a picture of it. And of course, this was a facility that was open for decades, but I'm going to look at one particular year to get a slice of life. I'm going to start with 1915. And in 1915, there had been a total of 384 prisoners that passed in and out of the system. There were 136 at the facility at any given time on average, knowing that people were constantly being moved in and out, transferred in from another facility, maybe released at the end of their term, maybe sent to another facility. And while there were over 100 or so prisoners working on the farm facility, there were also many tuberculosis patients who were transferred from other prisons uh, because the hospitals there did not want to serve them, to serve this highly infectious population. And there was a particular reason why the tuberculosis hospital was located at Rutland that I'll get into. So part of the treatments for tuberculosis at the time were called dietetic and hygienic, which I'll also explain. But to get back to the prisoners themselves, it's important to understand who these people were and how they ended up there. They generally fell into one of three categories, or more than one of these three categories. Drunkenness, idle and disorderly, or they were a tramp, vagabond, or vagrant. Okay? None of these prisoners were violent, and they didn't commit any property crimes. Interestingly, most of these people were foreigners. They were Austrian, Canadian, English, German, and Irish. A handful of them were Italian, Portuguese, and Swedish. Clearly these folks were people on the periphery of a massive European migration that occurred at the turn of the century. These were people who couldn't find a place in the new society. They didn't have a family, a permanent residence, or a job. This was also the beginning of World War I in Europe. They may have been escaping chaos or trying to avoid being pressed into an army back in Europe. The other aspect is on the focus of drunkenness, which is related to the rise of the temperance movement. Within a few years, it would be completely illegal to sell or consume alcohol in the United States. It's difficult for us to understand today how much the drive to ban booze in closed saloons dominated American politics for 100 years. It was already completely illegal in Maine for decades at this point, and Massachusetts has always been a booze battleground with dry towns and riots against bars. This story is too big to tell in one episode, but it will, excuse the pun, flow into many episodes. But basically, these prisoners were here likely because 
of the drive to get drunks off the street and reduce the number of people who were attending bars. But they didn't want to put them in prison with other violent offenders. There were occasional escapes, but they were rare and likely because these people had nowhere else to go. At the farm, they had a warm bed and probably ate better than they would have normally. Incidentally, this wasn't the first time Rutland was used as a prison camp. During the Revolutionary War, British and German mercenary war prisoners were housed at Rutland, and then they were marched to the Mid-Atlantic States, and then marched back to Rutland. These POWs were being held as hostages to keep the British from hanging patriots that they were holding in captivity. So... When the residents of Rutland heard of the plans to create a prison farm on this location, they thought back to that period of having violent foreign troops being imprisoned within the town and they were not happy with the idea of having a new prison. The state explained to them that these would all be non-violent prisoners and there would unlikely be any kind of trouble. In order to highlight the lack of trouble, I'm going to quote some brief sections from a book by Thomas J. Conlon called The History of West Rutland and Its People, uh, published in 2009. And he writes extensively about the prison farm complex and the hospital. So this is a section about one of the local families from Rutland and it says Harold Wood, Kay Kimball and other village boys would hike over to the prison camp to play baseball with the prisoners so if they were allowing their kids to wander away over to a prison camp and play baseball uh, with the prisoners it couldn't have been that scary so it continues with some more detail Ray Kimball, Burton Fisk, Harold Wood, and other village boys were allowed to go to the prison to play baseball with the prisoners, with a guard watching nearby. Near third base was a huge manure pile. The prisoners could not run very fast, but the young boys could run like deer. Unfortunately, the young boys were not always able to stop before landing in the manure pile. Ray remembers that many times the boys reported home for supper badly in need of a change of clothes. So that really sounds much more like a slice of uh, idyllic turn-of-the-century small-town life rather than some sort of horrible place. But that was the experience of the kids in the surrounding area. Let's look at the lives of the prisoners themselves. The prisoners also gained experience by tending the gardens. A typical Thanksgiving dinner would consist of roast chicken, squash, onions, cranberry sauce, plum pudding, and mashed potatoes. The prison labor provided nearly all of this food. On December 10, 1910, Christmas would be equally as festive, as with the superintendent George Erskine helping to serve the prisoners. Now, I won't go into each one, but there were so many different kinds of tasks within the prison camp that all of these prisoners 
could at a minimum get the satisfaction of work and seeing the production of their work and many of them could actually learn a trade that they could apply when they were released from the prison in addition to tending to chickens goats oxen horses pigs and cows they were also farming potatoes onions turnips and carrots as well as cabbage the milk from their cattle supplied the camp itself and all the excess was sold to Worcester so in all this sounds like it was a busy place that may have bettered the conditions of the people who were there additionally it wasn't cut off and separate from the local community as we can see they were dealing with the markets in towns nearby and they had kids from neighborhoods coming to play baseball with them but now that we have sort of a taste of what the life would have been like at the time when the camp was open let's get back to our hike and actually exploring what's left of the ruins actually on either side just through the trees there are multiple remains of buildings there are flat concrete foundations and then there are deep depressions with cellar holes there are crumbling walls that have been heavily vandalized with spray paint so i want to step out of the actual hike for a second try and give you an impression of the overall layout what it is that you're looking at if you actually go out there so if you've come up the main prison camp road from the main uh, park the main Rutland State Park and you hit the crossroads the crossroads where the camp starts there is a square road you know you go around the square and it brings you back to where you started this is where the prison yard was inside of this square and you would been standing in front of the actual the gate to the prison and around this yard you would have had the officer dining area where the uh, the guards and the employees would have eaten you would have had the cell blocks where the prisoners would have slept Across from that, across the road, you would have had the superintendent's residence, his house. And you also had a mess for the prisoners where they ate. And that all would have been in that central square area, which is what you first come up on. If you turn to the left immediately, you'll find a bunch of different concrete foundations. And what those were part of was the cow dairy area and some related storage facilities. There was a milk house. There was the uh, kind of shops where they would have prepared the milk that they got from the cows nearby. And of course, if you keep walking past the yard, you'll see the sort of dramatic underground root cellar that looks like a train tunnel. If you turn to the left of that, and walk down the road that's uh, along that area you'll come to a spot where the hen houses were and also some of the vegetable farming happened on this side 
going back across the road, uh, past the yard, you would have seen a bend in the road. And there's sort of a bend, like a circular cutout from the main road. And that is the site of the hospital. And just beyond that, there was a barn. Uh, there was some of the, uh, the farmhouses and some of those facilities. Further behind the hospital, there would have been a water tank. Near that, there would have been a water pump house. And there was a lot going on here, as you can see. And just beyond this area is also the cemetery where some of the tuberculosis victims who were at the hospital uh, were, ended up being buried who didn't make it out. Uh, there are a few other specifics. Um, there were some farmers who were not prisoners who had farms adjacent to this facility. And also at the intersection of the prison camp road and the, uh, the main road of the facility, there was a schoolhouse. This was an older schoolhouse that was then later used by the prison as a school building for the prisoners. With those details in mind, let's get back to the hike and see what else we found. Now, this, uh, this may look at first like a subway tunnel or the underpass of a road, um, but it actually isn't. This is a giant root cellar. It, this, is a, uh, this is where they used to keep things cool before they had refrigeration. And as I start to walk into it, you'll probably hear the echo. And uh, it is covered in spray paint, and people have used this to set off their fireworks and uh, do whatever. But they would have been able to keep so much food in here and keep it cold even during warm summer months. You can feel how the temperature in here is consistently cool in here in the summer, even on the hottest days. Okay, so I want to take a moment and talk about safety. This is not a difficult hike. You're basically walking along a dirt road until you reach the complex. Getting there by bicycle is easy too, and people do ride their mountain bikes through there. Getting lost would be really difficult unless you leave the road and wander in the woods. The potential danger happens among the ruins themselves. Because of the old underground storage, there are massive holes that would easily leave someone seriously injured if they fell into them. The holes are often overgrown with weeds or covered with snow. They're easy to miss. The crumbling buildings are just that. Walls and rocks could easily come down on people. Local teenagers have also littered the site with broken glass. Staying out here after the sun goes down is a bad idea. There are no lights and you could easily fall into one of the crumbling structures in the dark. Just keep these things in mind and if you are going to go on any hike, bring water, bring a flashlight, tell people where you're going to go and when you're going to be back. Use your head.
So there's this crumbling building here with two narrow doors on either side and small rooms inside. And you might think from looking at it that this was some kind of bathroom. But since there's no plumbing and there's no way for water to get out, um, it was probably some sort of storage facility. And actually, as I walk around, you see that there's actually there are more narrow entrances on other sides too. So this was probably used to store something. Actually, upon review, those were uh, individual jail cells for solitary confinement. So there's an interesting footnote to this story, as there always is, about the original indigenous people in the area. The name of this area apparently was Nakwag before it was called Rutland, as far as can be said. And within the sort of description of some of the events at the prison itself, there is this uh, curious footnote. Reportedly, while the prisoners were preparing the ground for the hospital, human skeletal remains were uncovered. According to the prisoner commissioner, Pettigrove, they must be the remains of an Indian, and he must have been the chief, due to the fact that they were always buried on the top of a hill. Now, this is pretty much the case with every one of these stories that we cover whenever we talk about any area. Uh, if you dig into the story, you will find that there is evidence always of a widespread earlier uh, presence of people way before European settlers. Uh, so there's a whole lost history that we're just beginning to scratch the surface of. Now the idea for the prison itself was a bit of a novel one at the time. It was an experiment, a humanitarian experiment uh, that was intended to give people work and give them an opportunity to uh, better themselves and be re-released into society. The hospital that was tied to the prison, the tuberculosis hospital, was also a novel experiment of the time and it was one of the first of its kind in history. Now what is tuberculosis? Also called TB or consumption. It is a communicable lung disease that many people might associate with the 19th century, but really it's an ancient disease that has been known and written about for a long time, and it's actually something that is fairly prevalent in modern times. But before there were treatments and vaccines, and there was a population growth and large amounts of migration growing urban centers and industrialization in the 19th century, you did have this uh, massive outbreak of TB. And there weren't always a lot of ways to deal with this public health issue. They were developing methods of dealing with it. And one of the ways that they dealt with it, that they extended patients' lives and even uh, helped to make some of these people better, was to improve their air quality and sanitation quality. And this is why the Rutland location was chosen, 
because of its altitude. There was a belief that higher, drier uh, mountain air was better for people than, you know, uh, smoggy, humid air. And a lot of people during that period, they would move out west. They would move to the southwest and the plains uh, to get that sort of air quality. Now, I have an article here from the New England Journal of Medicine from November 29th, 1923, by Vincent V. Bowditch, MD of Boston, who describes some of the early history of the Rutland Hospital. This is from the article. After mature deliberation, the town of Rutland was chosen as offering special advantages for the work. The moderate altitude of 1,100 feet, a position sheltered by woods from the coolest winds, a fine water supply near at hand, and the location in the central part of the state were features which rendered the selection of Rutland a good one. Plans in accordance with the latest methods of treating tuberculosis were studied with great care by the trustees and their architect, and the work was begun. Now, what's interesting about this is it became a model for such specialized hospitals all over the country. It was one of the first of its kind, and it inspired a change in the way that the disease was treated all over the place. However, as innovative as the prison and the hospital were, uh, it was almost as soon closed down for a completely unrelated reason. The complex was built over a common water supply, and it was no longer appropriate to have all of this activity going on over the water. And this ties into other lost Massachusetts stories, specifically the creation of the Quabbin Reservoir, which is not too far from here, and the attention that that brought to all the uh, offshoots of rivers and streams that um, had to be kept clear because that was all going to become the main Boston water supply. With that, the facility was emptied in 1934 and has remained such since. Um, Very little of it has actually been actively taken down. It's just all been left to um, the elements and vandals. So let's take a quick tally of what we've found out. Uh, We're talking about a revolutionary hospital. We're talking about the location of an innovative prison farm, the prior location of a revolutionary war POW camp, and also possibly the burial location of a native chief. So there's a lot of stuff going on out here. It's more than just a bunch of crumbling ruins that are buried behind um, a, uh, a state park. But even with all that in mind, there's one more secret in the area that I'm going to impart to you uh, along with the directions right after a brief commercial.
Like I said, there was one other curious landmark uh, in the area that you should visit if you're going to go on this hike. Curiously, Rutland, Massachusetts is the geographical center of Massachusetts. And there is actually a monument to this geographical center, and it's actually a tree. There's a tree at the actual very location, and uh, there's a sign in front of the tree. <clears throat> and believe it or not, the uh, tree is on Center Tree Road in Rutland. Now, you can actually miss the tree very easily. It's not an enormous tree. And uh, I actually missed the tree the first time I drove by it and had to drive back to find it. But it is right across from a horse stable. So there is the uh, center tree horse stable. And directly across from that is the tree. There is no actual uh, parking. So you have to be very careful if you pull off to the side of the road to go look at the tree. Of course, the Rutland State Park is in Rutland at 49 Whitehall Road in Rutland. And to be fair, there's a lot more to do at this park than go look at the ruins of the prison. This is uh, quite a nice place to go. So you might want to plan a whole day around it. Um, in the summertime, it might be hard to find parking. It might be very busy. Uh, we went there in the winter because it's actually much more accessible uh, in the winter. So when you drive down Whitehall Road, you'll get to the sort of the official entrance of the park and there is a, um, a parking area there where people will pull off and go to go for a hike or go walk their dog. Don't park in that initial parking space. Keep driving down the dirt road. And eventually you will come to a second parking area next to a lake and you will see the iron, the yellow iron gate. And this is Prison Camp Road. Now Prison Camp Road itself, even though you can't drive on it, it will be on maps. It will be on your GPS. So if you set your GPS for Prison Camp Road, it will take you to this location park there in a safe space and start walking up the road. I would say it's probably about 30 to 45 minutes depending on how fast you walk. The scenery is wonderful. Uh, depending on the time of year you might pass by a lake and see uh, beaver dams, see some other wildlife. You will start to know that you are in the old prison camp area because you should actually be able to see some of the buildings uh, off to the side. And they're noted by their bright spray painted colors. The central yard of the old prison camp, there is a large tree there uh, that kind of marks it. I don't know if it was officially planted there to mark that location, but there is a big tree there. You can wander around the local roads. If you walk around, you should easily be able to find the, um, the root cellar. You should easily be able to find some of the other crumbling buildings. Of course, you know, use caution going into any of these places. 
when you walk past the yard, so directly across from the root cellar is the area of the old hospital. And this is also where supposedly the Native American chief would have been buried at the top of that hill. Now, the intersection of Prison Camp Road is, I believe it's called MDC Road. And if you go down MDC Road over the Ware River, there is a fork in the road. And the fork on the left is called Intervale Road. And right there at that fork is the prison burial plot. And there aren't individual graves, but there is a marker for the cemetery itself. I hope you enjoyed that stroll down a long old road to a crumbling forgotten place from our history. Next time, we're going to be going to a very lost place. A place so lost, it's no longer attached to the map. Until then, this is Garth in the Lost Cabin somewhere in rural Massachusetts, reminding you that it's always 1928 somewhere. Hey, if you like the show for some reason, there are lots of ways you can join the fun or get a hold of us. You can message Lost Mass through the podcast apps on Anchor. There's a voice option. Or you can go to lostmassachusetts.com and subscribe to our blog or use the various methods there to contact us. If you go to lostmassachusetts.com, you can also sign up to get a postcard from a lost place and find out where to send us a lost postcard too. Also go to Lost Massachusetts at uh, Instagram for photos and other details. We will do our best to respond to comments uh, directly uh, as well as within the show. You might hear um, your own comment. That's fun. <laughs>